Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Sports Island, your getaway destination for sports news. I'm your host, Rick Mitchell. Well, we had another news-filled week in sports. Uh, there wasn't anything too substantial that happened, uh, but definitely a lot of newsworthy topics uh, that were made headlines in, in all the major pro sports. So we'll we got some NHL, some NBA, some NFL, and some MLB that all had a lot of important stuff to get into, so we'll go ahead and dive right into that. Um, we're actually going to start off this week talking about the PGA Tour. And this past week, the PGA Tour announced a change in their coronavirus testing protocols. Uh, The changes started this week with the Rocket Mortgage Classic. And the change was that all players, caddies, and all other individuals inside the bubble are not allowed on property until first being cleared with a negative in-market test. So previously, uh, before this weekend at the Rocket Mortgage, players and caddies could be on site to practice as they awaited their arrival testing results but they didn't have any access to any indoor facilities. Well, the PGA Tour has taken it a step further on precaution, and they've now added additional safety measures, which means now nobody, players or caddies, will be on site anywhere to start the week without first being cleared through the COVID screening process. And the same policy applies to all individuals inside the bubble including staff members, instructors, uh, and media personnel. And I feel like I'm repeating myself week after week with the PGA Tour. But man, it was another solid week on tour. Uh, Last week, before the Rocket Mortgage kicked off, there were a couple COVID tests positive earlier in the week with Dylan Fratelli and Harris English. Um... And then midweek, golfer Chad Campbell tested positive. And Campbell's test was made him the sixth golfer to test positive for the coronavirus. So those subjects were all forced to withdraw, and uh, they're all reported to be doing well. And I believe for Dylan Fratelli uh, is in the field this week uh, at the Workday Charity Open. But uh, the Rocket Mortgage Classic was, like I said, it was it was another successful event. Uh, it was safe as well. PGA put on a great, great event there. Uh, great weather up in Detroit all weekend long. Uh, the course looked good. Um, and really, despite the lackluster field of players that we had, the golf was still really good. And we did have a little bit of drama later in the round on Sunday. Um, If you recall, on last week's podcast, I ended the PGA Tour segment by telling you that Bryson DeChambeau was going to win one of the next few tournaments that he played in. Well, I was correct because he won the very next tournament he played in. Bryson DeChambeau won this past weekend at the Rocket Mortgage Classic with a score of 23 under par, which was the lowest winning score so far in any of the four PGA Tour events. Uh, Matthew Wolf 
uh, finished second at 20 under par. And Wolf is another great young player, uh, only 21 years old. And he was the leader after the third round uh, with back-to-back rounds of 64. But, man, he just came out flat on Sunday. He was two over on his front nine. And then you had Bryson DeChambeau doing what Bryson DeChambeau does, and that's firing another mid-60s round on Sunday to cruise to his sixth career PGA Tour victory. Now, I mentioned later drama. Uh, well, Matthew Wolf, he, he tried to mount a late comeback uh, with a birdie on 15, and at that time, that put him at 19 under par and just one shot back of Bryson DeChambeau at the time. And DeChambeau must have felt the pressure because, boy, he turned the Jets on and didn't look back. DeChambeau birdied his last three holes, and he pulled away to a three-shot victory. But if you can't tell already, I am fully on board the Bryson DeChambeau bandwagon. You want another bold prediction? Bryson DeChambeau is going to win a major this year. Book it. In fact, with DeChambeau's win this past weekend at the Rocket Mortgage Classic, DeChambeau has now moved ahead of Rory McIlroy as the betting favorite to win the Masters. But let's revisit Rick's picks to click from this past weekend. Last week, I gave you Victor Hovland, Tyrell Hatton, and Tony Finau as my picks to click. And, just like last week, I clicked on two of the three picks. Victor Hovland finished at 14 under par, which was good for 12th. Um, He just played really good, consistent golf all weekend, and he only bogeyed four holes all weekend, which allowed him to stay in the hunt. Uh, Tyrell Hatton finished at 16 under par, which was good for 4th, and another top five finish. He's just playing at a very high level right now, and he is not one of the big-name guys that the casual fan would know, but he's been near the top of every leaderboard he's been a part of this season. And his world ranking is steadily climbing, and he just, he's got it going right now. Uh, my last pick to click from the pa- this past weekend was Tony Finau. And man, talk about a roller coaster of a tournament. He was only four shots off the lead after round one. Then just fell apart in round two, barely making it back to the cut line of minus five. Now, minus five as a cut line is absurd, but Finau was over par for most of the round, and he didn't turn it on till late. He had to make a few late birdies to uh, get to that minus five cut line but as he was sitting there on that cut line for round three he went out and fired a six under 66 and that moved him right up back towards the top of the leaderboard and then Sunday his round four was just a complete disaster he started out four over through his first five holes and he never recovered after that uh, his final round on Sunday finally broke his streak of 13 straight rounds under par. 
He ended up finishing the tournament at 9 under par, which was 53rd. So I definitely missed the Finau pick. But this weekend, the PGA Tour heads over to Muirfield Village in Dublin, Ohio. And the Muirfield Village Golf Club, where they're actually going to spend the next two weeks, this week and next, be played at the same course. Um, This weekend's event is the Workday Charity Open, which is taking the place of the John Deere Classic this year. Uh, John Deere Classic had gotten canceled a while back due to the pandemic, so they made this event. Uh, And this weekend's field at the Workday Charity Open is going to be a lot stronger of a field than it was this past weekend at the Rocket Mortgage. Uh, There's going to be three out of the top five in the world and seven out of the top 15 that are going to tee it up here at Muirfield this weekend. And the course is going to play at a 72, par 72 again. So I expect to see yet another weekend with really low scores. Uh, And and this weekend's tournament is basically going to be practice uh, for the Memorial Tournament, which is going to be held the following weekend also at Muirfield Village. And regarding the Memorial, it was set to be the first PGA event that had live fans in attendance. Um, They were expected to have about 8,000 people per day in attendance, but with the recent spike in COVID cases nationwide, they went ahead and and scrap that plan. So there will not be any fans this weekend or next weekend at the Memorial. But um, let's check out Rick's picks to click for this weekend's event, the Workday Charity Open. I'll start out with Patrick Cantlay. Uh, He's only played in one event since the PGA Tour restart a few weeks ago, and that was the Travelers Championship a week ago where he finished tied for 11th. Uh, In that tournament, he led the field in fewest putts with 106. He really didn't seem to be rusty at all, and he won at this course, Muirfield Village, in last year's Memorial Tournament. He enters this weekend ranked number 8 in the world, and I can see him finishing near the top. My second pick to click this weekend is going to be Xander Shoffley. Xander is currently 11th in the world rankings, and he took last weekend off to rest and recharge. Um, He's 10th on tour in strokes gained tee to green, and he's just another guy whose name always seems to be near the top of the leaderboard in the final two rounds. I just like him to come out sharp this weekend. Um, My final pick to click this weekend is going to be Justin Rose. Justin Rose is currently 13th in the world rankings, but he's second all-time in earnings at Muirfield Village. He won the Memorial Tournament back in 2010 and also has a pair of second-place finishes among seven top tens at this course. And in the two tournaments that he's played, Since the PGA Tour restart a few weeks ago, he finished tied for third at Colonial and tied for 14th at Harbortown. 
So with his familiarity of the course and his success at this course and success so far in both of the tournaments that he's played in since the restart, I feel like he's got a really good chance to win. But we're going to go ahead and um, move on to our segment around the island. Uh, We're going to go around the island a little earlier this week um, because most of the news topics were uh, in this past week were the, the quick hit type news topics that we feature on Around the Island. So we'll start off in Major League Baseball. Um, teams reported to their training camps at their home facilities this past week, and their intent is to start the season in a few weeks. Uh, Major League Baseball conducted their initial mass COVID testing, and they got 31 positive tests among players, seven positive tests among staff. And between those tests, it only resulted in a 1.2 positive test rate out of the total number of tests ran. And there were over 3,000 tests ran in their initial mass testing. So um, 1.2% is pretty good, and that's well below the national average. And represented in those um, 38 total positive tests were 19 organizations. Uh, And some of the bigger names to come back with a positive test so far are Atlanta uh, Atlanta Braves first baseman Freddie Freeman, Kansas City Royals catcher Salvador Perez, Minnesota Twins third baseman Miguel Sano, New York Yankees infielder DJ LeMayhew, and Texas Rangers outfielder Joey Gallo. But uh, the MLB also announced the cancellation of the 2020 All-Star Game that was slated to be played at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, California. And this is the first time since 1945 that the Midsummer Classic will not be played. And it would have been the um, first All-Star Game at Dodger Stadium since 1980. But the good news for Dodger Stadium is that Major League Baseball awarded Dodger Stadium the 2022 All-Star Game instead uh, because next year's All-Star Game has already been given to Atlanta, Georgia. Now in the last couple days, uh, Major League Baseball also released the full 60-game regular season schedules for all teams. And the opening game of the Major League Baseball season on July 23rd will feature the New York Yankees and the Washington Nationals. Uh, two of the best pitchers in the game will square off. That's Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer. And after Major League Baseball put us through a few months of total nonsense, at least they got us a good matchup to start the season. I feel like that's the least they could do. But regarding pitching... Um, Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher David Price has opted to sit out of the shortened 2020 MLB season. And there's been several other players mulling this over as well. Uh, I also read Atlanta Braves outfielder Nick Markakis has withdrawn from the season as well. But um, Los Angeles Angels outfielder Mike Trout is one of those that has uh, been on record uh, commenting his concerns about returning to the season. Um, Now, Mike Trout and his wife, Jessica, are expecting a baby in August. 
And I, I mean, I totally get where Mike Trout is coming from. Um, my second child was born at the very beginning of this pandemic, literally, March 12th. The day the sports world shut down is when my second child was born. But I'm out there in the real world every day at my job. I'm at a high risk of contracting the virus, but I still go to work each day because I have to. It's my job. And these professional athletes are going to be overly protected. And there are protocols in place to prevent them from exposure. And these protocols are far more strict than the protocols that can be followed at at my job. And Mike Trout is quite literally the face of Major League Baseball. Like, he is the best player in the game. So I get the family concerns, but come on. You make $36 million per season. Get your ass out there and play. Like, during the course of my entire lifetime, I'm not going to make anywhere near his prorated amount of the $36 million that he's set to make this season. Your fans are counting on you to play. And if you don't want to play, then donate your salary to the frontline first responders and medical professionals that are out there every day going to work because they don't have a choice. And the same goes for any other players that are wanting to sit out. But by far the strangest story in Major League Baseball this past week deals with Chicago Cubs pitcher Jose Quintana. Now, Jose Quintana was injured and suffered a laceration on his left thumb while washing dishes. The laceration required five stitches, and Quintana also had a microscopic surgery procedure done to determine the severity of it. And this microscopic procedure identified a, quote, lacerated digital sensory nerve in his left thumb. He had it surgically repaired, and he's expected to start throwing again in two weeks. And if I was him, I probably would have come up with a better story than washing dishes. But that's just me. Uh, We'll move on now to the National Hockey League. The NHL announced that the two hub cities that they have chosen to host the playoffs are Toronto, Ontario, and Edmonton, Alberta. And Edmonton was also deemed the host of the 2020 Stanley Cup Finals. The Eastern Conference teams are going to play in Toronto, and the Western Conference teams are going to play in Edmonton. Now, if you recall, on the very first episode of my podcast a couple weeks ago, I predicted that Canada was going to be awarded both hub cities. So I ended up being correct on that as well. And the recent spike in U.S. COVID cases is a direct cause as to why Canada got both hub cities. And had the coronavirus cases not spiked in the U.S. recently, Las Vegas probably would have been an easy pick for one of those two cities. But at the end of the day, um, Toronto and Edmonton are both great hockey cities, and they do not have anywhere near the number of COVID cases that any of the final United States cities of Las Vegas, Chicago, or Los Angeles have. 
So I think it's a good, safe decision for the NHL. Now along those lines, the St. Louis Blues had multiple players test positive for the coronavirus this past week, forcing them to cancel their practice on Friday. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to see other teams announce more positive tests before the season starts here towards the end of the month. Um, But in fact, the NHL also announced that since the on-ice workouts resumed on June 8th, which was phase two of the return to play plan, there's been 35 players that have tested positive. Now, 396 players have attended these voluntary workouts, and only 23 of those have tested positive. The other 12 players that tested positive uh, tested positive elsewhere, so uh, somewhere not in these voluntary workouts. But the big news from the National Hockey League uh, came out on Monday, and that's the fact that the National Hockey League and the National Hockey League Players Association have a tentative agreement in place on protocols for this summer's return to play plan. And reports also indicate that there's an agreement for an extension of the current collective bargaining agreement. So the uh, as I talked about in the last couple podcasts, the NHL's about to implement phase three of their return to play plan, which is the training camp phase. So under this new agreement that was agreed upon on Monday, the phase three protocols for the NHL look like this. Um, Formal training camps around the league are going to start on Monday, July 13th in each team's home city at at their home facilities. Um, Every team needs to provide the NHL with a list of participating players by no later than Thursday, July 9th. And if the date for the opening of Phase 3 doesn't get pushed back, then teams could start reporting to their respective hub cities, either Toronto or Edmonton, on or about July 26th, with Phase 4 set to begin around August 1st. Uh, NHL teams are going to be limited to 30 skaters at training camps, but will have an unlimited number of goaltenders. Now, Similarly to the NBA, any player may choose not to participate in phases three or four without discipline or penalties. Um, And then the opt-out deadline for players who choose not to participate in phase three or four uh, is three days after the ratification of the new collective bargaining agreement, which should be soon since the tentative agreement was in place on Monday. Now, in the event that a player is diagnosed with a confirmed positive COVID case, that player will be deemed to have sustained an illness arising out of the course of their employment as a hockey player, and they may be removed from training, practice, or play, and the player's condition shall be treated as a hockey-related injury under the collective bargaining agreement. Now, for a player who does test positive and undergoes a medical exam, if he's labeled a high risk of serious illness due to COVID-19, they will not be allowed to participate in phase three or four. And if a player tests positive or develops symptoms in 
either phase three or phase four. Teams are not permitted to share that information with the media or the public without prior approval from the NHL. Now, that's just for phase three. Phase four is the actual start of the playoffs. And the protocols for that, there's a total of 52 people per team that are in allowed inside the bubble. So that includes staff, trainers, that kind of uh, thing there for each team. Um, each team's going to have a minimum of three coaches allowed and a maximum of 31 players allowed. And team failure to comply with those protocols that are in place in the bubble could lead to significant financial penalties and the potential loss of any draft picks. And this is slightly different from the NBA in the fact that there are going to be players who are authorized to leave the bubble. Now, players who are authorized to leave can return, but they will be forced to quarantine on return, and they will have to produce four negative tests over a four-day period in order to return to action. The number of players to be tested daily in the bubble includes any players, coaches, staff members, officials, ice crew, uh, rank security, hotel bartenders, food service, staff, arena hospitality crew, host, uh, hotel housekeeping, transportation crews. So they are literally going to be testing everybody that would come in contact with the players themselves. Now, this next one's probably my favorite. Uh, and, and truthfully, this probably should be in place moving forward. Uh, but between periods during games, the bench areas will be disinfected. And that includes the flooring, bench surfaces, the top of the dashboard, the water bottle areas, and the glass. Now, if you've, if you've played hockey and sat on a bench or sat close to the bench during an, a hockey game, you know that those benches are just a complete biohazard. So I'd like to see that in place maybe moving forward. Um, but this is really the, the most interesting feature about the Phase 4 protocols for the NHL, and that's the fact that the players' families will be allowed to join the teams for the Conference Finals and Stanley Cup Finals Uh, And they will also be allowed to share the hotel rooms with their spouses and family. Uh, Team personnel will be able to assist with grocery delivery for the players' families while they are staying in the hotel. And coaches are not going to be required to wear masks on the bench. And this is probably the strangest, is that every team is required to bring at least one content creator, and social media employee with them inside the bubble. So that person technically counts as one of their 52 people per team, but they are required to bring some kind of social media person with them. But I just kind of referenced it, but we'll move on to the National Basketball Association. And there was a lot of talk this past week about the bubble format and the details within and NBA Commissioner Adam Silver stated that the virus is unpredictable, but that they're going to be testing daily, and that he feels confident with that, that the NBA is going to be able to conclude their season in Orlando. Now, inside of this NBA bubble, 
in the Disney complex, NBA teams are going to be split between three hotels. The Grand Destino will host the Milwaukee Bucks, Los Angeles Lakers, Toronto Raptors, Los Angeles Clippers, Boston Celtics, Denver Nuggets, Utah Jazz, and Miami Heat. The Grand Floridian will host the Oklahoma City Thunder, Philadelphia 76ers, Houston Rockets, Indiana Pacers, Dallas Mavericks, Brooklyn Nets, Memphis Grizzlies, and Orlando Magic. And the Yacht Club will host the Portland Trailblazers, Sacramento Kings, New Orleans Pelicans, San Antonio Spurs, Phoenix Suns, and Washington Wizards. Now, the NBA split the teams up in hotels based on the current standings, with the top four teams in each conference staying at the same hotel, the next four teams in each conference staying at a different hotel from the top four teams, and then the teams fighting to get into the playoffs all staying at the same hotel, but different from the other teams. Now, that's an interesting way to do it, but it actually makes sense. Because all the teams staying at either the Grand Destino or the Grand Floridian are either guaranteed to be in the playoffs or are pretty much a lock to get in. And the teams that are probably going to come up short of the playoffs and making an early exit from Orlando are staying at the Yacht Club. And the further along we get into these NBA playoffs, the greater the likelihood that all of the teams playing will be staying at the same hotel. So that makes it easier to help keep players in this bubble. Now the main issue that's been discussed is, what if a positive COVID case occurs inside of the bubble? And You know, the Disney staff that's going to be tending to the players' food and rooms They get to go home each night. They're not going to be locked into this bubble. So that opens the door to a possible COVID exposure inside the bubble. Now, the NBA has protocols in place to help combat the possibility of a COVID exposure, which includes players refraining from licking their fingers during a game or practice and requiring the players to wear biometric devices that measure their vital signs. And if a player does test positive, they're going to be immediately isolated and then retested to confirm the positive test, and they're not going to be allowed to leave isolation until they have consecutive negative tests after the isolation period. Now, regarding the Disney staff, they're going to be required to wear masks and gloves and follow strict social distancing guidelines. And they'll also be required to have temperature and symptom checks, and the housekeeping staff will never be in the players' rooms at the same time as the players'. So in theory, this plan should work, especially since the players aren't allowed to leave the Disney complex. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds. It sounds like a lot of work by everyone involved, so hopefully it goes smoothly. Now, a couple other quick NBA topics. Oklahoma City Thunder players uh, Thabo Cephalosha, he's opted to skip out the restart and not join his teammates The Thunder are currently fifth in the West, and they are locked into the playoffs. Um, Denver Nuggets star Nikola Jokic is clearing his COVID isolation and is expected to fly to the United States this week so he can join his teammates before they fly to Orlando. And now we'll move on to the National Football League. There's quite a few interesting topics that came out of the NFL this past week, and we'll start off with this one.
I was listening to ESPN Radio the other day, and there was a topic that has been discussed uh, in the NFL, and that deals with teams traveling to and from their games during the season. It's been proposed that NFL teams travel to their road games on the same day as the game. So this means that the teams will fly to their game destinations, get off the plane, go play, and then fly back home after the game. And the purpose of that is to limit the player's exposure to the public and decrease the threat of any COVID exposure. And while that sounds like a great idea, I'd be willing to bet my entire savings that if it came down to a vote, the National Football League Players Association is not going to approve that. Anyone that's flown on a flight longer than, say, two hours knows that the last thing you want to do when you get off a plane is to go play a sport, especially one as physically demanding as football. And when you get off the plane, you're usually tired and lethargic. So if the NFL is concerned about putting a good product on the field, this absolutely cannot happen. That would be a monumental disadvantage to the away team in that game. And the home team already has an advantage of playing in their home stadium, albeit with limited or no fans. So if you add the lethargy of the away team just getting off the plane and heading straight to the stadium... That's really about as unfair as it gets. So I definitely do not see that coming to fruition. And speaking of fans, there's another proposal going around the NFL dealing with fans. And this proposal would make any fan that attended an NFL game sign a liability waiver, releasing the NFL teams of liability if a person was to contract the coronavirus while attending a game. Now, that's another great idea that looks good on paper, but with how apt people are to sue for anything these days, the NFL needs to be careful about how they approach this. I can actually see this proposal passing and becoming a thing, at least for this season. Now, the only issue is that waivers don't completely guarantee that someone will not sue. The language in the waiver is not a blanket guarantee that will prevent them from being sued. Uh, NFL teams and stadiums will have to strictly enforce the social distancing guidelines regarding seating. And they're also going to have to mandate that fans wear masks, and there will need to be some sort of protocols in place for the stadium staff to check and enforce the mask rule. Because any bit of negligence by the teams and stadiums to not do that could ultimately end up in a lawsuit. Now, the hardest part for the fans filing the lawsuit would be to prove that they contracted the virus at the game. You know, due to the time delay for symptoms to show up, I think it's going to be incredibly hard for anyone to actually pinpoint a specific place that they contracted the virus. But, like I said, I can actually see the NFL adopting this policy and making fans sign a waiver before entering the stadium. And as a football fan, I would gladly sign the waiver if it was the only way to get into the stadium. And along this topic, the state of New York announced that no fans are going to be in attendance during any of the Buffalo Bills games this season. The state also stated that no fans will be allowed to congregate outside of the stadium before, during, or after the games. And this is a big deal, especially for the Bills. Um, As you know, the Bills fans are known as Bills Mafia. And man, those people are nuts. You've probably seen a ton of videos of Bill's Mafia jumping off cars onto tables and whatnot. 
and they provide some great entertainment. God bless the Bills Mafia. And with the Bills being a legit threat to win the AFC East this year, Bills Mafia would have been out in full force. So that's a bummer that they're not going to be out there. Now, the New York Jets and New York Giants home stadium is MetLife Stadium, which is located in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So even though the state of New York put those restrictions in place, they do not apply to the Jets and Giants as of now. Another main story out of the National Football League this past week was a reduction of the preseason games from 4 to 2. Now, the purpose of that was to allow players more time to get ready for the season. And the way that the original preseason schedule was planned, players would have only had about two weeks of training camp before playing the preseason games. This reduction of the preseason means that the players are now going to have four weeks of training camp instead of two weeks. And on Friday this past week, the National Football League Players Association unanimously voted to completely scrap the entire preseason and not play any preseason games until next season. Um, And while the NFLPA doesn't control that, the NFL is still planning on playing two preseason games. And personally, I just want football back. So I don't care if they play in the preseason or not, because those games are truly exhibition games featuring a lot of second and third string players along with rookies. But if preseason means they're going to be playing football games sooner, I'm all for at least a couple preseason games. But um, another NFL topic that's pretty substantial deals with the Washington Redskins. Now, this is borderline on the racial slash social issues that we don't discuss on Sports Island, so I'm going to keep it strictly factual because it is a major topic. Um, The Washington Redskins' three main sponsors are FedEx, which owns the rights to their stadium, FedEx Field, Nike, and Pepsi. And this past week, FedEx and Nike have put massive pressure on Redskins owner Dan Snyder to change the team name. And FedEx has threatened to end its sponsorship, and Nike has already pulled all of the Redskins apparel from its purchasing outlets. Now, ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter was asked about this issue. And if you know anything about Adam Schefter, you know he is the guy when it comes to all things NFL. And Schefter stated that he believes that Dan Snyder is going to change the team's name before the start of the 2020 season and that we have officially seen the last of the Redskins. Man, talk about a quick moving storm. This is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out and what possible names the Redskins could be changed to. And I do have to sneak this uh, NFL bit in here. I came across a meme the other day, and I laughed so hard. I actually read it multiple times and laughed every single time. So I'll read it now and try to keep it together. But the meme says, The Chicago Bears signed Nick Foles earlier this offseason and will pay him $21 million this season. Meanwhile, the New England Patriots just signed Cam Newton for less than he was making at Auburn. And while that's hilarious and actually a little true, Cam Newton's $7.5 million incentive-based contract only guarantees him $550,000 this year. So Cam Newton's guaranteed money makes him 53rd amongst NFL quarterbacks this year. And that's just ridiculous. This guy was the league MVP four years ago. 
Now, Cam Newton posted on Twitter this past week saying, quote, this is not about money for me, it's about respect. And I get that, but Cam Newton is not the 53rd best quarterback in the league. He needs to be making more than most of the quarterbacks in front of him. And speaking of uh, money, the final NFL topic we'll discuss here broke on Monday. Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes signed a 10-year extension worth $450 million. It's actually worth a potential of $503 million with incentives. And 477 of that is guaranteed. So this extension keeps Mahomes in Kansas City until two, uh, 2031. And Mahomes still has two years left on his rookie deal that's slated to pay him $2.8 million this year and $24.8 million next year. So over the next 12 years, Patrick Mahomes is going to make a minimum of $530.6 million. And the early reports were that the contract was tied to a percentage of the salary cap but the contract does not contain language that indicates that's the case. And I would say that I'm surprised by the numbers in Mahomes' contract, but I'm really not. Uh, The belief all along was somewhere in the $40 million range per year. And Mahomes has only been a starter in the league for two seasons. And in those two seasons, he's thrown for 9,412 yards 76 touchdowns, and only 18 interceptions. He has won the league MVP, a Super Bowl, and a Super Bowl MVP. And he has a grand total of zero losses by more than one score as Kansas City's starting quarterback. He is the best quarterback in the league. And now he has not just the richest contract in NFL history, but the richest contract in major pro sports history. And oh yeah, he's only 24 years old. He's not even in his playing prime. He's still a few years away from that. It just seems like a matter of when and not if he's going to win his next Super Bowl or league MVP. And he is the definition of a franchise player. He is an elite talent on the field and a superb person off the field. Absolutely no off-the-field issues with Mahomes. And truthfully, I do not see anyone else getting close to this contract at all, ever. He is a generational talent, and you just don't see contracts like this handed out. Now, the Mahomes contract makes it really interesting for the upcoming quarterbacks that are going to be signing contracts here soon. Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, and Lamar Jackson. It's going to be really interesting to see how this contract affects those three particularly because none of them are getting close to that kind of money. But it also makes you wonder how much this is going to hurt the Chiefs in the long run by not being able to pay all of their other skill position players when their time comes to get paid. And only time's going to tell on that, but the Chiefs will not be going anywhere but near the top of the league anytime soon. Final quick hit topic here, man, how about some 4th of July tradition? The uh, the annual Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest was held this past weekend in its usual 4th of July spot. And for the 13th time in the last 14 years, Joey Chestnut won. 
The dude ate 75 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. And the runner-up only had 42. That's just gross. I never watched this event live, but when I see the highlights and watch them just shove two, three, four hot dogs in at a time, it just makes me gag. There is absolutely nothing appealing about someone eating 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes. Now, I'm not great at math, but I think that's about seven and a half hot dogs per minute as a pace for 10 minutes. And I don't think I could eat seven and a half hot dogs in one sitting regardless of time. But hey, Joey Chestnut did break his own world record with the 75. Congrats, I guess. Well, that's going to wrap up the third episode of Sports Island. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, If you did, please tell your friends about it. Also, anyone you know that may be interested, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Sports Island podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Sports Island is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. And you can also find the podcast on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcasts. Hope you all have a good week. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.